Good morning. Let's take our Bibles. Let's go to Psalms. Psalms chapter 27. Psalm chapter 27 is where we'll be this morning. We have changed the, uh, the name of our summer series from uh, Psalms of Summer to Thunderstorms of Summer. It's wild, y'all. But, it, but it's good, and uh, I guess I want to thank the Lord uh, ahead of time for uh, the background vocals and noise this morning, um, because you're going to see that, uh, let, let's be honest, some of you guys were nervous about gathering with the church this morning, right? Um, severe weather alert, which like every day now in summer is one of those, right? And, um, and, and so what happens is we gather as the church, and in, in the back of our mind, though, there's, there's just this lingering. And then so as we sit here, we're singing about God's faithfulness and his goodness, and then boom. And so it's just like, we, we, it's, it's really a metaphor of the Christian life. And as we're going to see in Psalm 27 this morning, even our gathering this morning, we, we find ourselves believing that we trust God, believing the fundamental basics of our faith and who he is, and yet while we're living in that, a lot of times things come, things happen, and we say, are we sure? Do we know? Are we positive? And that's where the psalmist is this morning. So Psalm chapter 27, as you may still be getting there, great stuff from our kids this morning. Um, I was talking to Coach Wayne Graves this morning. He graciously volunteered to come up here and do motions with the kids. I told him we didn't need him this morning. Just kidding. Happy anniversary to you and Miss Mary Margaret this morning, 35 years, right? Evie Holdfield, seven this morning. It, like, I, I don't get all the anniversaries and birthdays. If it's your anniversary or birthday this week, awesome. But happy anniversary uh, to, to you guys. And next year, you can direct music if you want to, Coach, for, for real. Obviously, good deal. Um, Psalm chapter 27, let's read it together. Psalm chapter 27 of David, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh and my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamped against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Pause for just a moment. This dude right now is fully confident in who God is, right? Fully confident. Fully confident. But that's not the last verse of the psalm. Verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O oh, you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O oh, God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O oh Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. Pause. 
I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is God's word. Did, did, you, did you sense it there as we were reading it? As in a lot of Psalms, and, and Justin has so often helped us understand that Psalms, a great way to look at these is processing our thoughts and emotions in God's presence. And there's no doubt in this, there is a supreme confidence in God. And yet the other hand, you see some doubt begin to arise. 75 degrees outside, wind's blowing, everything's great. You got plans for the afternoon and all of a sudden, here comes a cloud in the horizon. And then it builds and then it builds and you find yourself pretty quick, what, 6.30 the other morning? It got nasty. I, I, it got gnarly, didn't it? It was like, like Friday morning. Saw it coming in. It got wild that quick. And you see that kind of cropping up on the horizon in David's thoughts here. The title of the message this morning is Confidence in the Midst of Cries. Confidence in the Midst of Cries. We see here, and I want to call it first, this is a, a seesaw of emotion. And what I mean by that is, the way the psalm is divided up, you see the first six verses, this like just crazy confidence in God. He's my light. He's my salvation. I don't fear. Evildoers come against me. I don't fear. All of this, I'm confident in God. And starting in verse 7, you start seeing him doubt, him vocalize his doubt, him verbalize his doubt. He begins to cry out, does God hear? Does God care? Is God really going to prevail? And then at the end, you see the psalm close with a confidence in God. Now, many of you fathers are familiar with seesaws, right? Um, maybe not as much as uh, your wife and the mother of your children, but kids get on seesaws. They love seesaws, and seesaws may be fun on the playground, but in real life, they're not because they're not clearly defined that the seesaw only goes this high and that it doesn't go down. And sometimes there's not sand beneath it when it hits the ground. Sometimes there's hard asphalt that reverberates to the, to the very core of who you are. And what he's doing here is he's trying to process and he's trying to work through, yes, I know, anybody feel this? I know I'm supposed to be confident in God, but there's real stuff right now. And how in the world in the mixture of the seesaw, how do we land? Will we land? Will it be hard when we land? And I think it's helpful for us this morning, even in the midst of a thunderstorm, to process this psalm. I want you to see first this confident trust in the Lord, this beginning of the psalm, and he has confidence in God because of God's infinite worth. That's what we see first, and we see this in this first portion, verses 1 through Six. Now, now, David is going to say several things about God that, that allow him to place confident trust in the Lord. He uses the word confident in verse 3. But throughout this, these first six verses, he says, God is this, and because God is this, I trust him. Because of who God is, the natural response from me is to say, of course. Of course I believe. Of course I trust. Just this week, you're 
kiddos were walking through these different stories and go where Jesus goes and love who Jesus loves and do what Jesus says to do. None of us would do those things, check this out, if we did not value Christ as someone who is worthy of such actions. Like, like why would we send people to another country? Why would people risk their life to go to another country? Last few weeks in seminars, I was really blessed uh, at the seminary to be in class with some people that had flown in, some of my classmates serve in some of the, the craziest places on earth. In the middle of mountain ranges, in the middle of like Muslim hardened countries. And why in the world would somebody do that unless they value Jesus to be worthy of that? Because it's insane, right? Why would you not pursue the American dream and accumulate as much stuff as you can and live a happy life and build a, a boundary around you so you don't have to interact with anybody unless you realize that life is more, there's more to life than that? That it's not your citizenship or the values of a culture that define your existence. It is Jesus, the king over all creation, who defines how you live and how he calls you to live. And so the psalmist here is prizing the Lord. And the response to that is confidence. Now, what does he say specifically? And I'm just going to put all these up on the screen at once so that you can see it. Let's walk through it real quick. Notice what he says in verse 1. He says that the Lord is our light. That's how he begins. And Psalm 27, 1 may be a, a verse you're familiar with. The Lord is our light and our salvation. You may have heard that. There's probably a little kiddo song that somebody sang at VBS through the years. I won't try to sing it. I don't know the hymn and I don't know the, the tune and it would be off tune if I tried, but the Lord is my light. You see what that statement says is that I don't have light. So I am looking to one who not only has light, he, as the Bible says in other places, he is light. This is the character of God. God, by definition, is light. He reveals, he shines, he shows, and what we find is he doesn't have a mag light tucked in his back pocket. His very character is light. He's pure and holy and good. God is light. And what David says is, the Lord's infinite worth. I don't know the way that I should go, but because he himself is light, I'm going to trust him. He also calls him here, my salvation. Man, this is so good. This is so good for many of us that have grown up in a Southern culture. Check this out. That will tell us that salvation is a plan or a formula or a method. Scripture teaches that salvation is not a plan. Salvation is a person. John says it this way in 1 John chapter 5. He who has the Son has life. One old preacher that's with the Lord now, I love the way that he says this. He said, Jesus did not die to send us salvation. Jesus died to become our salvation. And so that God doesn't need help in saving us. God himself is our salvation. We find our purpose in him. We find our existence in him. We find our reason for meaning and life in him. And what David says is, listen, nobody else can save me, not even myself, but because the Lord is my salvation, I am confident. Then he goes down, if you would look in verse 4, one thing I've asked the Lord and that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I just simply wrote down there, not only has God our light and our salvation, but he's permanent. 
David says, if I could sit in God's presence all the days of my life, I know one thing. God was there before, and God will be there after. Is there not a, one of the greatest reasons that we trust God is that he is the ancient of days? He's the alpha and the omega? It's encouraging, isn't it? God's before the thunderstorm. He's after the thunderstorm. He's in the middle of the thunderstorm. All of our days are surrounded by the eternality of God. And David says, hey, you're permanent. I'll trust you. He also says that God is glorious, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And I love, I love the fact because it forces me to think differently. When I, when I hear the word beauty... It, it conveys, as, as an American, and probably just as a dude, can I just get honest? Like, it conveys some type of, like, like feminine nature attached to it, right? Like, I, I love my wife. She's beautiful, right? When I think about how the Lord is beautiful, like, my mind doesn't, doesn't need to go there. My, my mind, when I think about the beauty of God, is not that somehow God gets dolled up, Okay? That God sprays himself with perfume. God doesn't need to be better dressed, right? God doesn't improve. God doesn't put things on him that make his appearance different. When we talk about the beauty of God, what we talk about is we talk about his glory, the beauty of his holiness, the beauty of his might. God in his very essence the reason why he has to veil himself, the reason why Moses couldn't look upon him is there would be no way in our mortal sinful state that we could behold the absolute incredible holiness of God and yet live. You might say, some people say, well, you know what? We're, we're sinful and that's why we can't take God in his glory. That, that's, tr that, that, that's true. But it might be in a much greater way. Don't put the emphasis on us, put the emphasis on him. It might just be that God is so absolute, infinitely holy <laughs> that his greatness would overwhelm us. Which makes heaven a miracle, right? Because we will see him face to face one day. And so David says, this beauty of God, this greatness of his holiness, that if I could just gaze upon it, it would be enough. So if someone is so beautiful and majestic and worthy, they're worthy to be trusted. And he also mentions here that Notice what he says. I'll gaze upon the beauty of the Lord in verse 4, and I'll inquire in his temple. I'll seek God. I'll ask God. I'll ask God what he wants me to do. I will seek the source of all wisdom. And one of the reasons why we trust God is that he knows what we don't know, right? He's omniscient. God knows all things actual. God knows all things potential. God knows all things hypothetical. God just doesn't know what will happen. God knows what could happen. My mind just stops there. And David says, of course. Why would I not trust this God? And how did David know this? Well, I think it's healthy for us as we read the psalm this morning, you'll see some communication between him and God, which, which tells us that in the Christian experience, in the knowledge of knowing the living and true God. This is not a God who is made of concrete. This is a God who is spirit. He's living, he's active, and he speaks to his people, which tells us that God is able to be known. But lest we 
make the rules for how that relationship is defined. God not only speaks to us, God speaks to us through his word. And I would encourage you, if you only seek God mystically without his word, you will probably be led astray. But if you seek God personally, intimately, in, through, guided, directed, guarded by his word, you will both know him from his word and you will know him personally and intimately. My sheep hear my voice. And so as we see these first six verses, there's like this just absolute confidence. I won't be afraid. I won't fear. I know God's presence. God is going to hide me. He's going to conceal me. He's going to lift me up. And then he ends at the end of verse six. I'm going to praise God. I'm going to sing and make <coughs> melody to the Lord. Then verse seven. Then verse 7, because when we get to verse 7, we hit what we'll look at second this morning, a cry of doubt. And there's a cry of doubt that kind of startles and, and rattles this confidence. And why is it? It's because of present circumstances. There's no thunder right now. Y'all forgot about the rain. So worried about it five minutes ago, like me, but it's not there right now, right? But let one of those first alert chimes come from your iPhone, and it's all going to hit at once. A severe thunderstorm has been whatever for your area, right? And guess what? We're in verse 7, right? Some of us were in verse 7 at the start of the service. Now we're back in 1 through 6. It's good. There's no rain. A severe thunderstorm has been issued for your area. Whatever watch. You know what I'm talking about. We're in verse 7. What's going on? What alerts him? What alarms him. Just look at the psalm real quick. He acknowledges the presence of enemies, doesn't he? Look in verse 2. There's evildoers. And what do they do? They eat up flesh. In verse 2, there's adversaries and foes. In verse 3, there's an army. In the bottom of verse 3, there's a war. In verse 5, there's a day of trouble. In verse 6, there's more enemies. In verse 12, there's adversaries. In verse 12, there's false witnesses. And so David, even in the first six verses, is acknowledging the fact that there are things external, and I would even say sometimes internal. The world is not absolutely perfect. May I just quote a man of God in my life from previous years that says, the world is not getting worse. The world is going to hell like it always has been. There will be these enemies and adversaries and evildoers. There will be days of trouble in our life. Some of you are walking through them now and have walked through them. You are very conscious of this. But some of us, verse 7, catches us. We weren't expecting it. Verse 7 hits us. And for the first time, our confidence in God is shaken. Or it's been a minute since our confidence has been shaken and we're feeling really good about life and then all of a sudden something happens. We didn't cause it by a bad decision. We didn't cause it by a mishap in judgment. It just comes and we say, what in the world? Notice the doubt. This God in verse 4 that he would sit and inquire of, notice what he says in verse 7. It's a doubt 
Does God hear? Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Why is he verbalizing that? Because he's wondering if God really listens. You ever had a time in your life when, man, you felt like you had a straight connection, like plugged in through the wall connection to God, like every syllable you uttered, he heard, and every syllable uh, you heard, and every syllable you uttered, he heard, and then you wake up like six months later, and you just want to throw rocks at the sky because you wonder if God even hears anything? Ever been there? Take heart. It's in the Psalms. <laughs> Take heart. It's in the Scriptures. You're not the first one to experience that. He doubts. This doubt begins to creep, creep in. Does God hear? Look in verse 9. Hide not your face from me. There's another doubt here, and the doubt is, is God even present? God even see? It's amazing. Just a few verses earlier, I'm going to sit in the temple of the Lord all my life. I'm going to gaze upon his face and his beauty as long as I live. A few verses later, are you even there? Anybody been there before? Some of you are like, dude, I got all the T-shirts. There's another doubt. End of verse 9. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. Just a little earlier in verse 6, he's going to lift up my hand. Verse 5, he's going to conceal me. He's going to hide me. God has his hand on me. God is working in me. God has me. And now in verse 9, that same hand that has concealed me and hid me and lifted me up, now that hand might just toss me to the side. See it? Here it is. Real talk with David. And then you get in verse 11 and 12. He's asking God to teach, and he's asking God not to give him over to the will of his adversaries. And it's this doubt that maybe, might, possibly, the enemies might win. The enemies might overcome. Now, different scholars have suggested, like, when this when this is written, some psalms, as you come across, it'll actually tell us, like, this psalm was written here. And you can go to Samuel, or uh, you can go to First and Second Samuel, you can kind of figure out what was going on. I was reading a, a commentary this week, and, and they were debating this, and, and like, they really don't know when this happened. Of David, suggests it's probably happened before he became king. And so my mind goes, like, when Saul was chasing him around. If you've never read just kind of the manhunt for, for, for David in, in the Samuels. Like, like Saul one minute, like, is, like David's my boy, and the next minute I'm going to throw a spear at his head and go hunt him down in caves. I mean, it, it's just wild. And it's almost like David came to points in his life when he said, hmm, Saul's going to get me today. Philistine's going to get me today. And it seems like those days came right off him writing like just this wondrous psalm about God's greatness and God's goodness and God will not be shaken and because God will not be shaken, I will not be shaken. And if we get really honest, this is where the rubber meets the road in the Christian life sometimes. And I'm not here to, to excuse a distrust in the Lord. I'm not saying that. And I don't want any of us to to feel empowered that we can just kind of, you know, live in just kind of limbo land. But, but the Psalms do speak to the reality of it that we're called to press through. Sometimes the Psalms don't end 
with verse 13 and 14. Sometimes they end with David just being like, I still don't know what's going on. Sometimes our days happen like that. Here's a quote from R.C. Sproul that I think will help you. He says this, I do not know God's mind, but I can read God's word. I do not know God's mind, meaning I do not know why Saul's chasing me. I do not know why the thunderstorm popped up on the horizon. I do not know why this person is being this way towards me. I do not know why we got hit with these bills. I do not know why my best friend is acting insane. I do not know why all of these things are taking place. And I can't get into God's mind, A, he doesn't, I don't owe an answer, I'm not owed an answer from him. B, sometimes he hides what he's doing. But you know what I can do when I struggle? I can open up the scriptures and I can read about how he has never failed not once. That old hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, the second Verse is really interesting because it goes this way. Here I raise my Ebenezer. And if you're singing that, you know, Daniel, if we ever sing that, somebody might nudge and be like, hey, dude, did you bring your Ebenezer this morning? Like, what, what is that? If you read your Old Testament, the Israelites set up rocks along the way. And one they called Ebenezer, and it was a monument so that they could say, hey, God has helped us thus far. And should we doubt that God will not prevail, we will look back at all the monuments where he has held us fast. Perhaps we do need to stick our Ebenezer in our back pocket and raise it again. God's been faithful. I do not know God's mind, but I can read God's word. Notice how God reassures him. Verse 7, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Doubt comes, what reassures? God's voice. Sometimes God doesn't give you the answer that you want. God just says, seek my face. Because you need more than an answer. You need him. You don't necessarily need what he will give you from his hand. You just need his face. He prays again, hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. And then what is the reassurance? Coming back to his mind in verse 10 is this promise. For, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. I was thinking through that last night. Dude, what an awesome verse that is right there. Let, let, me, let me help you with it just for a second. This verse is not there to cause us to think, well, you know what? God's always there, and he'll always take me in, and he's always, you know, just kind of there, and, you know, God's just kind of the person, no matter what I'm like, I can always just count on God to take me in. Can I just help you understand that God is infinitely holy and should never take any of us in? Like, he should be the last person to take us in. Like, his justice and righteousness demand that he not take us in. But how can he take us in? Because his own son was pushed out on a cross and was judged in our place for our sin. And he received wrath and anger. He received justice so that now God's holiness 
and righteousness and wrath and justice has been forever satisfied. So no, no matter what sinner, what they've done, what we've engaged in, no matter how much we may have ruined our life, the Father says, come here. Let me receive you. Let me take you in. Let me love you. Let me wash you. Let me adopt you. And that is the gospel. Some of you need to hear that this morning. <clears throat> Father's Day is rough on you. I'm sorry. You didn't have a good example on earth. Can I just say there's a perfect Father in heaven who will take you in no matter what happens to you on earth? This is the gospel. God reassures David. Verse 11 and 12. He asks two things. Teach me your way. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries. And so you see the struggle, this seesaw in the midst of it. David is struggling, and yet he's reminded by who God is. And that brings us to these last two verses. The flip side of the struggle he emerges again with confident trust in the Lord. And what is that confidence? I believe. You just stop there, right? Verse 13. I believe. <coughs> in what? In who God is. In what God's done. In what God will continue to do. In who God will continue to be. Aren't you thankful this morning that your present circumstances do not impact or change the character of God at all in any way? And aren't you thankful that your present circumstances, if you know him, do not change one iota of how he feels about you or your standing before him? If you've been justified, you've been justified. There is nothing in your life that will stop God's sanctification of you. That's, that's good too, isn't it? Even your struggle against it. Even your pushback. The Holy Spirit has a big thumb, doesn't he? I know he doesn't have a thumb. Okay, I know. But he just likes to push on stuff, right? I think Chambers, Oswald Chambers said this. He said, the Lord is so patient, he will take all of our life here on this earth just to deal with one thing in our life. Some of us know what that is when it comes to our mind, right? We, we know it. It's coming right now. He's committed to it. What is David confident of? I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Not just that I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Right now, I'm confident that God is greater than these enemies, these foes, these adversaries, these armies, this day of trouble, these false witnesses, and that he will prevail and he will prevail in my life. Now, I've read this story, I mean, read this verse and prayed this verse and thought through this verse <coughs> in situations where there was cancer and sickness, where there was accidents. And to be honest, sometimes the people that I thought about and the people that I prayed for with this verse may have passed on from the land of the living. Maybe that sometimes contributes to some of the struggle that we feel in 7 through 12. But I know this. David's confident that God is good no matter what. That this goodness is connected to this one who is the Lord. 
So can I just encourage you this morning? Don't, don't push the doubt away. Embrace it. Work through it. Fight it. Struggle with it. How? Remembering who he is and what he has done and who he will always be. But David's confident that he's going to continue to live. And then he gives this exhortation in verse 14. Wait, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Almost seems like this is Isaiah 40, 31, right? Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. So notice what he says. He does not bind God or put on God a timeline or details or demands with which God has to work. He just trusts and waits that God will work. Sometimes it's hard for us to, to let go. But this is what trust is. And he really defines trust by this wait word. He just basically says, God, I submit it all to you. All my doubts, all my struggles, all my worries, this, this seesaw where I theoretically, like 100%, we're tracking. You're God and I trust you. But on Wednesday afternoon, I'm really not too confident in my confidence of you. And where does he land here? I'm just going to wait. I'm going to trust. I'm going to surrender. How do we apply this? On the screen, I've got dads, but it might be for all of us. I, I see a few things from David in this psalm. I see somebody that knows God and walks with God. So, so dads, can I just encourage you this morning, moms, children's, aunts, aunties, uncles, cousins, peoples, Cross Point family. We need to be people that know God and walk with Him. Not plastic people. Not people that don't admit that we don't struggle. But I see it, a guy in this psalm that knows God and walks with Him. And even in the midst of his doubt, what does he do? He's still walking with God. Even in the midst of his struggles, he's still praying, he's still seeking, he's still striving. So this morning, all of us know the Lord and walk with him. Let me give you a second application. Be honest about life. And as you're honest, depend on God. If I would read one word that would kind of permeate the psalm, it would just be dependence. That's, I don't have it all figured out. I, don't, I, I, I won't have it all figured out. I, I messed up five seconds ago, but guess what, Lord? I'm dependent on you this very second. And you see, when you walk with God and you depend on God, guess what? You may not be confident in knowing what's going to happen, but check this out. You can be confident that God is going to work what happens for your good and his glory and his purpose. I'm going to eat lunch with my dad a little later. And because he's a creature of habit, I know exactly where we're going. I asked him this morning, um, but I already knew what the answer was. <clears throat> my, uh, if, you, if you know, I'm, I'm adopted. So um, twice, once by my father in heaven, once by Joe Johnson. And a few things that I, I see from, from him on this Father's Day, and I'll, I'll leave you with this. 
And as a kid, sometimes in the morning, I'd yell for my dad and he wouldn't answer. And so I would, I remember one morning, Daniel, you guys can come on up. I remember one morning, um, I was yelling for him and he didn't answer. And so I went into where I knew he was going to be and he was on his face praying. And this was the habit and practice of his life. And I can still go and get this red binder. It's about this big. And if I were to open it up and look at it, I, like, I don't even think there's like, I don't think very many people on earth can interpret his handwriting. But, but I know a few things that are in that prayer book. There, there's requests that he uttered to God, and there's names of people that he prays for. Even this morning, I got a text message from my dad. He sends it to like 30 preachers on Sunday morning, and I get the same one as everybody else. And dad finally figured out how to do a group text because for a long time it was just broken up. Um, I remember when I was in high school, and dad said, you're not going to skip gathering with the saints to go play sports. And people said, but you need to get him exposed. And I always appreciate what my dad said. And I tell this to parents. He says, if my son's good enough, he'll play in college. If he's not good enough, he won't play in college. One time I went to a, uh, a camp in New Orleans. Like he made me like map out how to get on the streetcar to like go somewhere to gather with the saints on Sunday morning. And when, I, when we got to, uh, when I got to that camp, he told that dude straight up, he's like, my son will not take part in Sunday morning. He'll go, he'll, you'll see him after lunch. We lost the Liberty Bowl, and my dad wrote a letter to Jeff Bauer after the fact. I think you lost the game because you made him practice on Sunday morning. <laughs> Coach Bauer and I never talked about that letter. But even now, we need to be the type of people that people know that we're in touch with God. Yeah, we can be ornery. Did I just say my dad was ornery? Maybe. Yeah, we can be creatures of habit. But when people interact with us, they know what they're getting. They know who we are. They know that we actually believe in something and that we're honest enough to admit the struggle that we don't have it all together. But we believe in a God who holds all things together. And so I know for some of us today, man, it's tough. You're, you're remembering people that are no longer in the land of the living. Your father rules above all. I know some of you are in situations where a father figure in your life has walked away. There's a father in heaven who's good. I know some of you have, may have been by different father figures in your life pushed away. Can I encourage you this morning? Though your father and mother may forsake you, the Lord will take you in. And so this morning, as we wrap up, can we just celebrate this father who takes us and our struggles and our doubts and our pains and our weaknesses, and he loves us deeper than anyone else. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you, God, on this Father's Day as we celebrate in our country that for all eternity, you, Lord, rule and reign. Father, we thank you that we're taught to pray and we're, 
When we're taught to pray, we're taught to call you Father. Because of who you are, benevolent and good and gracious and mighty and wonderful. God, I pray for those in this place today that don't know you as Father, that God, their heart would be awakened to your grace, your gospel, and they would hear this invitation that the Lord can take them in. God, I pray for your people that are struggling this morning, find themselves in verse 7 through verse 12. God, they would, through the struggle, emerge with confident hope in who you are. God, we're thankful this morning that our standing before you is not based off our emotions or our actions. It's based off what Jesus Christ has done for us. And we rejoice in that gospel. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing. Throughout this song, Justin's at the back. I'll be down here at the front. After the service, we're here if you need counseling. Let's praise Jesus, for his work for us. Lead us, Daniel.